got to know him in a better way, y'all. That's what the songwriter said. He said he got to know him in a better way. I've gotten to know the Lord in a better way. Don't, don't take for granted that because something is the way it is today, it'll continue being that way tomorrow. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. I know y'all used to me being taller than I am right now. Maybe I'll be able to project as much, you know, I'm a few inches shorter than I normally am. Pray with me. Father, we love you today, and we love you whether we're standing or we're seated. And we thank you for being good all the time. We thank you for allowing us the opportunity to come and to do what you have anointed us to do and appointed us to do, Lord, and that is simply preach your word. You don't give us conditions on how we preach it. You just tell us to be obedient in that respect. And so today I'm asking for your preaching power, Lord. And I'm also thanking you for your keeping power. From the last time you allowed me and afforded me this opportunity to this time, Lord, you've been good. You've been so good to me, Lord. You have brought me through dangers that I did not see coming, Lord. And you have kept me from danger. Uh, during that time and I'm asking you right now to continue doing what you've been doing and that is keeping me. Lord don't let me be in the way today let the delivery of your word be the focal point I want to thank you for all who have prayed, all who have encouraged and now Lord let your word be an encouragement to them. Father we love you. We certainly acknowledge that without you nothing is possible Nothing is achievable except we have you by our side, guiding us and directing us. There are some who are physically present today, Lord. They've come because they're in need of something. Let the word be the gap filler for them. And then there are those who are with us virtually, Lord. And though they can't be in this physical environment, let your Holy Spirit so encompass where they are, Lord, that they feel as if they're with us right now. And then there are those who may be just tuning in for the first time, Lord, who don't, don't even know you in the free pardon of their sins, Lord. Help something to be said or done that will make them ask the question, what must I do uh, to be saved? Lord, we love you and we, we certainly adore you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it all. Amen. So, I started the sermon series in February. The sermon series was entitled Family Matters and was able to do one sermon before the sermon series was interrupted. And the Lord didn't tell me to go back to that sermon series. So we're going in a slightly different direction today as we start our march towards the resurrection. 
in a couple of weeks. We'll get back to the family series because I think it's important that we continue that discussion and that, that teaching, but not today. So I don't know. I was asked that question. Are you going to continue that series? Because I was at Sermon 2. And uh, that's not how I've been led. But I have been led to Hebrews chapter 10. I think it's a good first Sunday sermon. Verses 1 through 4. I don't know how many of y'all still bring your Bible to church. I'd advise it. But if you don't have it, I feel fairly certain it's going to be displayed for you. The version of the Bible that's being displayed, I believe, is the NIV version. Which may read a little bit different than the one you have. I'm going to read these verses out of the King James Version of the Bible. And then we'll try to talk about how the Lord blesses us through this. Chapter 10 of Hebrew. Starting at verse 1. My, my, my Bible has a caption over the scripture which reads, and it gives us guidance, the failure of the old covenant. The failure of the old covenant. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4 reads, but in those sacrifices, I'm sorry, for it is, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Read that last verse again. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Just for a little while, as the Lord leads us this morning, I want to use as a central thought, what can wash away my sins? What can wash away my sins? One of the things that I've been doing a lot lately is watching TV, the news is rife every day, lately anyway, with stories casting over of warfare. Seems like all my life, that's all I've seen on TV is a war here or a war there. There's always a war going on somewhere. And the way they, they, the way they publicize it, in my opinion, is the most graphic pictures always have a lot of blood. 
I always want to show you what something has blown up or somebody's been hurt. Warfare is bloody. And even as bloody as it is, I don't think the pictures that they show us capture fully the devastation that goes on. And I don't know that it ever could do so. And because we've become so indoctrinated to that manner of, of warfare here on earth, we forget that as believers, we too are involved in warfare. Every day, there's a spiritual war going on all around us. And it seems amazing to me that as the example of physical warfare shows us how much blood is lit and lost during the process, we too forget that there's a bloody affair going on in a spiritual sense too. Yeah, there is blood in spiritual warfare. Salvation is bloody, but it ain't your blood. That's the complication for non-believers. They don't understand that it's the blood of Jesus that has been let for us and for our sins. It, it, it seems a little unfair that the way to settle our debts for sin with God is by the use of blood. But that's the system that he set up. Yeah, it was necessary because you and I, no matter how good we think we are, we are at best less than perfect. At best. I don't care how good you were on your last evaluation. You ain't perfect. I don't care how good your wife said you look this morning. Maybe they told you that. You ain't perfect. And when we start getting to a place that we think we've gotten close to perfection, you need to step back and reassess what's going on because in our own ways, in our own nature, we fall short of what's expected, even in our best efforts. I, I bet if I asked for a show of hands in here and asked if you knew some good folks in your life, everybody in here would say yes. Really, really good. Some of you might even point to people in your own families being good. Some of you may even say that I got a good husband or I have a good wife or my children are good. And I'm sure that that's the case. And by our standards, that's a wonderful thing. We all ought to be striving to be good. We all ought to be striving to do better tomorrow than we did today. That's, that's good, but I hate to be the one to bring this back to you in this place, but this is the place for it. Mankind is sinful. Oh, oh yeah, mankind not only is sinful, we know mankind is evil. Oh, yeah, why do you think we see pictures of war going on all the time? Rarely will you find that wars are fought over just issues. Rarely will you find that wars are fought without somebody down the line at the beginning of it all being selfish, being prideful, or being willful. All the things that come in can start these wars and look how many folk get caught up. In mankind's way, we, we curse, not in this church. We don't curse in this church. Nobody in here curses, but we curse and we cheat and we lie and we steal. And then if you want to bring it on home, if that don't reflect you, we also gossip, deceive, gripe, just grumble all the time. We judge other folks. 
discriminate, hate. We assault people. Yeah, sometimes the assault just turned into an all-out fight. Rarely does a day go by when you don't pick up the the uh, your phone and see news flash. Fight last night at local establishment. Almost every single weekend, if not every day. And then we escalate that fight and we go to war. We're selfish. Not only do we do those things, but we hoard. We, we hoard things. There are people who have nothing. Living next to people who have too much. People who don't even use the stuff they have. I mean, it's, it's packed up. Packed up. I mean, if, if, if somebody came and knocked on the door and said, can I have, they'd have to go through three or four of them to give them one. And that's just how we are. Not only are we hoarders, we're uh, too indulgent in our own whims. We don't even tell ourselves no enough. We don't, we don't even bless ourselves with the willpower not to say yes to ourselves. That's a problem. We're too extravagant. Anybody think extra extravagance can be sinful? It can. You're spending basic resources on things that you don't need just to be able to say you have and to impress yourself primarily. That's a problem. But I don't think we look at life that way. We're wasteful. We're wasteful. Yeah, we're wasteful. Not only that, we're polluters. People say, I, I don't pollute now. I don't throw nothing out my window. Well, let me give you a different look. Yeah, you, have, you know how offended you are because you drive down the street and you see somebody open the window and just throw something out. Anybody? I'm offended by that. That's a definition of polluting. Yeah, yeah. And you're really mad if it hits your car when it come out. And you want to get the tag number and do all that. I don't know what you're going to do with the tag number, but it's, except have it. But, but you're mad because... One, they got into your space, but two, they ought to care more than, than to have the environment messed up like that. You know, I, I'm offended by that. But then I was raised on a generation with Auntie Little. See, everybody wasn't raised on it. She don't, people that know these folk now that you know, you're not supposed to. I was raised on the commercial with the Native Americans standing in the creek full of trash and crying. Yeah, we've been indoctrinated on a whole lot of things like that, but you don't have to see those commercials to know that you shouldn't put your McDonald's cup in the creek. We're polluters. We're polluters, and that's a problem. We've become woke, as they say, conscious of the issues around us. But, but, but can I tell you another way of polluting that we don't even consider? Yeah, we pollute our environment by negative opinions. Oh, yeah, you come into a positive environment and you got to be negative. You just polluted that environment. Not only that, we, 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 we pollute the fellowship by being jealous and envious of folk. That's polluting. Yeah, that's polluting. Selfish. We're selfish. Just got to be my way. And we pollute the environment like that. And we pollute our family with our attitudes that think it's all about us, make everybody think it's all about us. That's selfishness as well, but everything's going all right. Don't, 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 don't raise your hand if I ask you this, but I bet there's somebody out there that said, well, we having a family gathering this weekend, my cousin coming. 
Yeah, you all upset because everything is usually going all right till that cousin shows up. Anybody got one of them cousins? Yeah, maybe if you ain't raising your hand, you are that cousin. Everybody, everybody dreading you coming. Yeah. You know, they be whispering, you know you're a Republican. I mean, they they they, they got to have something to say. Whatever the matter is, it doesn't matter. You know, he got all these liberal views that we don't agree with. And uh, But the point is, we consider our opinions the top opinion, and we'll tear up a fellowship. And it doesn't matter how many people try to tear, try to try to talk us down. We're just there. That's problematic. But all this can come to mean only one thing: that mankind can never live with God in the current state. Yeah, no matter how good you are. No matter how much your note is on your house, your house is not good enough for God to come live in. Look, your house is not fancy enough for God to come live in. I don't care what you eat every day. God won't come and abide there. He will not. You know why? Because he's holy. And everything that's down here was made by him. And when Adam and Eve messed it up, they messed all that up. I don't care how we pretty it up on our side for our taste. God won't abide there. That's what salvation was all about. How do we get back to a place where our sins can be nullified, if that's possible? How do we do it? We are short of perfection, and we're trying to live in a holy way. How do we do that? What can be done? If we ever hope to be acceptable to God, our sins have to be washed away. It's just that simple. Your sins must be washed away. I'm not going to complicate this for you this morning because complication only creates more confusion. Your sins must be clean, cleansed. And the only hope to escape from the judgment and condemnation is for a substitute to be sacrificed for our sins. That's the basis of the Old Testament law of uh, laws that govern us making it right with God. The whole basis is for a substitute uh, to be given. If a substitute can be sacrificed for our sins, then it's the substitute who bears the judgment that we rightly deserve. We can be perfectly free from sin, but it's got to be the right substitute. And then under those circumstances, by God's standard, we can be acceptable to him. Walk with me on this now. An unbeliever may not care what God thinks of him or her. An unbeliever doesn't have enough to understand that they need to make things right with God. But God forbid that anybody should feel that way if they know different. God does love you, whether you know it or not. God loves you. The question is, does it matter to you whether you get things straight with God? That's the ultimate question we have to ask ourselves. It shouldn't matter to you. 
that you have a right relationship with God. God's will is that you have one and he made a way for you to have it with him and his, the way he made is a simple name. His name is Jesus. But you have to believe in Jesus in order for that to work. So let me explain it to you today and we'll get out of here with these points. Christ shed his blood to remove the stain of your sin. That's a lot of words for a simple thing. Christ shed his blood to remove the stain of sin. This author here in Hebrew tells us that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, I used to love to hear the, pet, the preacher say, without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. I used to hear that, but, but that's in case you don't know what remission means, that you can't be forgiven of your sin without the shedding of blood. So let's see if we can, we can give you a little bit more clarity on this, because those whole first four verses paint such a common sense picture. It says that year after year, the priest would go in the high priest, the one who would go in and ask the Lord to forgive the sins, we can all forgive the sins of the people. He would go in to the Holy of Holies, into the innermost part of the church, and he would pray for all the sins of the people. And before he went in, Tam, he would have to have an, a, a, a sacrifice on the altar. But watch this. This is the complication. Before the priest could pray for me, and pray for you, pray for our sins, he had to pray for his own sins. Clearly something's wrong. If we're looking for perfection, he can't get us straight before he gets himself straight. And then the writer of Hebrew, the, there are those who, who speculate that the writer of Hebrew was Paul because it has Paulian themes in it. Okay, the, the, the way the writer writes it seems like it was Paul. That's what they mean. But they don't know for real who actually wrote Hebrews. I'm just telling you that because you'll get up and you'll hear people say, well, Paul said in Hebrew, well, we think it was Paul who said it. But the writer says in Hebrews in those first three verses that it would make sense that if the, the, the sacrifice was so perfect that the priest did they would only have to do it one time. Why then do they have to turn around and make the sacrifice year after year? Because every year that they make the sacrifice reminds you that the sin has continued, thus requiring them to make a sacrifice again every year. Doesn't that make sense? If you do it right, you only have to do it one time. But if you keep doing it over and over again, let me give you a, a more basic example. I don't want to get, I'm not going to get common, but I do something to you that offends you. I am sincerely sorry for what I've done. And so I come to you, Deacon Moore, and I apologize to you. Please, and beg your forgiveness. And you say to me, fine, I forgive you if you give me $5. I mean, that's just what you require. You make the work, you make the rules. And 
If five dollars is gonna make you feel better, and I think that's acceptable, then I give you five dollars, and we're supposed to be square. Only problem is the next time I see you, you looking at me and say, "I believe I'm gonna need five dollars for you to forgive to forgive you." And so I continuously come back every time and give you five dollars. That tells me one thing: one, five dollars wasn't acceptable especially since we're up to about $60 now. Or two, you're not sincere in your apology. Either way, we haven't come to a meeting of the minds and there is nothing here that is settled. That's how it was. And that's what the writer says in Hebrew. He says, I love it for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It's not possible. And why? Because verse 1 says it. For the law having a, underline that big word that it probably jumped over, shadow. A shadow of good things to come. In other words, what we were doing was an illustration of the, of the uh, forgiveness that was going to come. It never was sufficient to actually be the forgiveness, but God was going to allow it to work in the meantime, and, and, and we got to the real thing. What can wash away my sin is the question. And I'm telling you that Christ came, and according to Leviticus 17 and 11, read this, for the life of a creature, underline life, L-I-F-E, the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The blood is the symbol of the life that's given. Does that make the blood is simply a symbol. But the important thing is the life that's given. The priest would go in and he would have killed a bull. Folk forgot about the bull that died, but it's the bull's death that is the satisfaction of the problem. And the only way to be aware of that, Casanova, is with the bull's blood. All right? Now, isn't it interesting that blood can wash anything away? Blood, anybody know a little bit, a little bit something about blood? Blood is the toughest thing to get out. How in the world can blood be the one to clean something, to cleanse something? If you ever tried, you know, those of us who do laundry all the time, or those of you who do laundry all the time, let me straighten that up. know that if you got blood in a, in a garment, be your favorite garment, you can try all the little tricks, all the little gimmicks they got on TV, and in the end, you still gonna have that little brown stain because that iron is hard to get out of a garment. It's hard. But this is what you need to understand, and please write this down. This blood is not a stain remover. It's a stained cover. 
All right, it's not a stain removal. It's a stain cover. It covers sin stains. It blots out the stains in your past. Blots them out. Blots. You know what a blotter is? They don't use blotters anymore. We used to put them on the desk. Piece of paper. People used to write with ink. The blotter used to be there. You take the ink, and the and it would the ink would be blotted out on it. It would cover up anything you've done, anything you've done wrong. Wouldn't erase it. It would just cover it. And the reason that is, is because God can't even look at anything that's unholy. It's got to be covered. Covered. This is important. Remember how he blotted out the sun at the crucifixion? How about this? It's sin that left a crimson stain. Remember that song? Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it. White as snow, he blotted it. Yeah, white as snow with his blood. With his blood. So if you got cursing lips, his blood can block that. If you got contaminated minds, you just think wrong. Life has gotten you to a place where you think that everybody's always against you. He can block that out. If your life has been upended and devastated, he can block that out. You got a corrupt character. Some people grow up in a household or around people who just are uh, just criminal focused, corrupted. That, that's not the end. He can block that. He can block that. If you're a bully or you're blinded or, or bewildered or bloodthirsty, he can block that out too. There are some people who just bullies, but most of the time they've been bullied. or Something's happened. Christ's blood can cover all those situations. You might just be cold-hearted or covetous. You want what other folk have or you're contaminated or you feel like you've been condemned for some reason and I can't ever get in the right position. He can fix all that by his blood. Or maybe, maybe, you know, you're just foolish. Anybody here, nobody here is going to ever admit that they're just foolish. And yet we sit back and we see all the time people just do foolish things. Maybe you're faithless because you haven't been taught any better or just scared, frightened. Frightened or you you find fault in things where really there's no fault to be found. Christ can cover that as well. Maybe you just like cursing. You're profane. Perverted. How about proud? You're just proud. Christ can cover all of that. But he does more than just cover your sin. He's better than that. He's more important in your life than just covering your sins. Watch this. Christ shed his blood to redeem you. To redeem you from your sin. Not only does he blot it, cover it, but he also redeems you. Back to that analogy about what the offended person requires to get straight. God required perfect, perfect blood. That was what he required. That's what the scripture tells us. Not easy to believe that we are saved from the power, the presence, and the guilt of sin by the sacrifice of somebody else. Think about that now. You, think on this, you are saved 
from the power, the presence, and the guilt of your sin by somebody else's action. How amazing is that? A substitute apology. When else does that work? Where you have done something wrong to someone and another person comes in and says, he says he's sorry. When else is that acceptable? Well, it depends on who the other person is as to whether or not it matters. It's deeply ingrained in our nature. We believe that we have to pay for our own misdeeds. That's just a basic tenet of mankind, that if you do something wrong to somebody, you're the one who has to be in the space to say, please forgive me. The world teaches us that man is self-reliant and merits his own privileges and consequences. You have to do it. But in the scripture, the whole concept of the altar and the sacrificial animal is one of substitution. In the scripture, we are led that way from the very beginning of our relationship with God that he allows a substitute. Can I take you back to Genesis? Can I take you to Abraham and Isaac? Can I take you to Isaac being the one who's about to be sacrificed? And yet here we are. An example is given instead of Isaac, God allowed a ram to be in the bush, a substitute. Many theologians will tell you this is a precursor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Instead of us being on the altar about to be sacrificed, Jesus becomes our ram in the bush. So, what you need to know. And what's so wonderful to us is despite our imperfection, God allows an imperfect somebody like me to believe in a perfect somebody like Jesus. And Jesus can be my substitute. If that ain't shout news, because I don't know about you, but as hard as I try, there are some days I just can't get it right. I'm trying and I'm trying, but I believe in Jesus. And I try to be faithful to him and what he tells me to do. I try to be the one who follows him, but even on my best day. I'm going to be honest with you. I go to the end of the day and try to remember what I did and I said, and one cuss word got in there that day. I just, maybe it's just me. And no, my hand wasn't slammed in the door. It was just frustrating. I, I don't know what yours is, but you know it ain't got to always be that. Maybe I just didn't do what I could have done. or Maybe I didn't help somebody I should have helped. Whatever it was, I fell short. And so watch this. When an unbeliever approaches the, the, the throne of grace, God's altar, to confess, Christ must become your sacrifice. Christ Jesus has to be your sacrifice because he is the one who has taken the guilt he is the one who has paid the penalty. Songwriter said, Jesus paid it all. So all to him. I owe. Why? Because sin had left us. The, 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 
the writer in Isaiah said that all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us, just like sheep, have gone astray. And, and we turn everybody to their own way. And the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. We went the way we wanted to go, but God said it's okay to put your burdens on Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't think it was robbery to have my burdens put on him. If you don't know, you ought to love him. You ought to love him because he took your mess, your junk. He laid it on his shoulders and he thought that was all right. Not only did he take it, he became your mess on the cross and was willing not to carry it, Bobby, but to die for it. To, to die for your sin. Man was created by God. Then man rebelled against God and our arrogance. Transgressed all the commandments. We lived after God created us, gave us a little freedom. Once we got a toe out the garden, we lived like there were no rules ever given to us. God never changed the guidance that he gave us. He was always guiding us. He was always urging us to come back to us. He never stopped doing that. It would have been justice for him to simply do what he did when he let the flood come. It would have been justice. But because he loves us, this is all a love story. He loves us too much. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to bring it home to you. You know that child you got. They over and over again, you tell them not to do something. And over and over again, maybe they ain't a child, maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a relative. You tell them, this is the last time, man. I told you before, I'm not going this way with you no more. Maybe you were that child. All right? Somebody told you, this is it. You're not getting no more money. I'm not, don't call me no more. I'm not coming to get you no more. None of that. And you find yourself one more time, one more time in that space, over and over again. And by right, at any time, they could have shut you off and said, it's done. I've done it 45 times. I'm not doing it 46 times. And they get home, and all they can see is maybe the 46th time is the one to get them straight. All they can see is, I love you. And love will make you do some crazy things. I heard somebody say crazy in somebody's eyesight. Yeah, love will make you keep going to the county, getting them out. To the city, getting them out. Love will make you keep on sending that Western Union money, even though you know it ain't going to no utility bill. Love will make you do all those things. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, because, G, because God loves us that much, he was willing to keep on giving us an opportunity, and he decided he was going to give us the nuclear option of opportunities, and that was to send us his only begotten son to save us from ourselves. The Old Testament covenant was that the blood of bulls and goats offered was for our sins. Jesus became our sacrifice. Watch this now. The blood of bulls and goats was never perfect. But Jesus, having lived a perfect life, offering himself as our sacrifice, 
became the perfect offering that God required. But not only was Jesus the perfect offering, his blood became symbolic of the life, his life, that he was willing to give. Just like the bulls, it wasn't Jesus' blood, but it's Jesus' life that he gave us. So when you talk about what can wash away my sins, you're saying nothing but the blood of Jesus. But what you're really saying is Jesus paid it all with his life. And his blood is simply the symbol of straightening me out. He's not only the Savior, but he's also the sacrifice. He is the priest who leads himself into the altar and lays down on it himself for our own sacrifice. I hope y'all can see that picture. He ain't the old priest that's leading the bull in. He is the priest and the sacrifice. And he gives himself for us. So Christ shed his blood to remove our stain, to redeem us from sin. And then Christ shed his blood to reunite us with God. He redeemed us and then he reunited us. He said, come on, follow me. I'm going to take you back to my father's house. That where I am, there you may be also. Christ, the moment we accept his gift as the only begotten son, we are declared just. All right? We're declared just in the sight of God. We've made the transition from being an alien, a stranger, to being his son. The adoption is complete at that point. You're no longer a foreigner in heaven, but you are a citizen because Jesus Christ is the one who made it possible for you to get your citizenship. You've gone from living in darkness. I once was blind, but now I can see to light. You've gone from sin to salvation. All of this because Jesus Christ made it possible. Have you ever felt alone? Anybody in here? Just, just alone just by yourself, just nobody there with me, that, that sense of melancholy that's all over you and you don't know where to turn or who to turn to. And the truth of the matter is that's how an unbeliever feels all the time. Yeah, they don't know what to do or who to turn to. And so what they turn to is things in this world that they think will fill that void. And it does for a moment, seem to fill it, and then it all goes away. There's no lasting effect on it. Yeah, alcohol won't keep you forgetful. Yeah, drugs won't keep you forgetful. That's why you uh, have an addiction. You keep running for that feeling. But I've heard so many folks who found the Lord about how satisfying it is. About how once I found the Lord, I came to know the Lord. And he has made me, that's not what I said, he has made me whole. I feel like a new creature. I feel like a new person. Yeah, we even got cute with it and said, I don't even walk like I used to walk because he made the difference in my life. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't think like I used to think. And, and those things fill up my world so that now instead of being empty and alone, I find purposeful, needful things to do. Why? Because he has made a difference in my life. And I know there's some folk out there who 
feeling bad right now. You're looking for a difference maker in your life. And I came to tell you, you ought to try Jesus. Now, now don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you what I heard from other folks. On, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. See, I used to think that learning for learning's sake was good. Just learning, knowing stuff. But I realized you got to learn something to share with somebody else to help them get better, too. There's a whole lot of books in the library that won't ever help you. But there's one book, one book, if you could share with every person on earth, the world would be a better place. Just one book. It's the, be it's the bestseller in the history of literature. No matter what anybody says, I don't care. They couldn't even print enough advanced copies. But if you could get it to the right, get it in anybody's hand, it's going to make a difference for them. Most people will tell you without a doubt that they're better because of it. And I tell you today, you will be as well. So don't get confused when you can come into his house. You can come into his house. When you can come under his umbrella of love. Life will get better. His house is where you want to be. In his house, there's love. In his house, there's joy. Can I, can I straighten some out? Don't confuse the staff with the patients when you come into his hospital. A whole lot of people come into the hospital and they get turned off by what's happening in the hospital because they keep dealing with the patient and not the staff. What you mean, Andre? Well, some patients are doing so well they wear their own clothes. They don't even look like patients. All right? And then you start talking to them and you realize that this person is hurting too. And this person is hurting and this hurting person hurt me. That happens in church all the time. We take our focus off the head, and we only look at the people who are in the house. Can I tell you, no matter what they say, everybody in here is hurting for something. But don't get stuck just looking at the people in the church and think that they are the total church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's who you need to look to. Don't get stuck and get run off because you had a negative encounter with somebody else who was also hurting in the church. I see that happen too many times. People get upset as fellow patients. And because of that, they want to leave the hospital. There's healing here. There's love here. There's support and fellowship in this place. What you need you can find it here. But don't look to Reverend Sparks as the source of it. Because Reverend Sparks needs healing himself. Reverend Sparks struggles himself with some things. And I'm looking to the one who can continually be my source of supply. And I'm sharing the goodness that he gives to me. And hopefully that makes us all better. But one day I might come in hurting too much. I may struggle one day. Don't let me in my pain hurt you as well. And that won't happen if you keep looking to him. If you concentrate on him, it won't happen. Some patients need the fellowship more than others. Some people can heal pretty much on their own. They're just by nature loners. It's okay. But other people need to be around folks. 
If the pandemic hadn't told me anything else, it's that we need each other. Yeah. For those people who don't thrive in isolation, the pandemic was a special kind of torture for them. And they've been eager to come back in this, into an environment like this. At some level, everybody needs to get back together again. And that's because we were made to be a part of a fellowship. And Jesus Christ has made it possible. Jesus liked being around other folk too. That's why he had all them disciples together. And they traveled and they celebrated and they laughed and they loved the same thing we do. Watch this now. Jesus had everybody in that group, even the ones who didn't mean him any good. They were still part of it. Why? Because at every possible moment, they could do better. He didn't push anybody away and that's not our job either. It's not our job to turn people out. It's our job to love folk, and maybe, just maybe, we can love the hell out of them. Maybe, just maybe, we can love the difference and the absence and the wrong thinking and the pride out of them. Maybe. It's not our job to run folk off. He'll separate. We're supposed to congregate. And so, through salvation, Christ forgives the sinner for his sin. And then through justification, God delivers the sinner from the bondage of sin. And then through reconciliation, he reestablished communication with our sinner. Yeah, you can talk to God now, and guess what? He'll talk to you. Once you become a believer, you have a, an always open line to the creator of the universe. He'll communicate with you. I know he will, and he won't just do it on Sunday morning when you come to church. He's an everyday God. He'll do it at your house. He don't need me as the operator to talk to you either. You can talk to him directly. He will bless you through sanctification. He makes you better every single day. We get better every day. You ought to wake up being sanctified every day, creating me a clean heart today. You can pray that every day. And then when you convert it, he turns you into a child of God. So much so that you start looking like him and acting like him and talking like him. And before long, folks say, there's something special about you. And that's because you're becoming more like your daddy. You're looking more and more like your father in heaven. And then through vindication, he tells you, as a sinner, you have been made righteous. And you ought to shout about that. So it's no small wonder that when Christ went to Calvary, he became the rock of our foundation. Oh, yeah, you ought to shout about that, that he became the rock of our redemption. He became the cornerstone of the confession that you made because you believe in him. He's the basis of our belief. That's who Christ Jesus is. He's the surety of our salvation. He's already made a deposit on your home in heaven. You believe in him. And not only that, he's the fountain of our forgiveness. What can wash away my sins? Jesus Christ already had washed away your sin. Do you believe him? Do you love him? Do you know him? Have you acknowledged him? Why you spend so much time on this today? Because if we don't get this part right, then we're struggling on the other part. And so if you're here today and you have found out that Jesus did all these things for you, no matter how deeply you're ingrained in what you're doing that's negative, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to him. Whatever it is you've got going on, he's ready today to accept you and call you a child of his. No matter how serious 
no matter how salacious. What does that mean? That means how folk talk about it. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you're willing to give him your life. Over the next few weeks, we'll find out about people who were with Jesus as he was marching towards the, crucified, the, the, the cross. And we'll find that some were his disciples, but some were at the other end of the spectrum. They were so wrong. And Jesus gave them the same promise. And I came to do the same thing for you. Some of you may have grown up in a church. Now you want to accept Jesus Christ as your own, and I invite you. But some of you, this may be your first time meeting a church congregation. Opportunity is there for you as well. No matter your situation, Christ is here for you. Come lay your burdens at the altar, and he'll take all of the sin away. He said, take my yoke upon you. Learn about me. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burdens, the things I ask you to do are light. So if you're here today, just open your heart and say, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. Come to Jesus right now. He's waiting for you. Come to Jesus right now.